Hello and welcome to The Wealth Chat, a podcast brought to you by Clanwood Hambros. My name is Fahad Kamal and I'm Chief Investment Officer. In today's episode, I will be taking a guest seat while I'm interviewed by Andrew Thompson, Head of Investment Management and one of my favourite colleagues. We will explore the impact of the current geopolitical strife and conflict in Ukraine on markets and investment portfolios. This year began with investors fretting about inflation. Uh, I think it's something that central banks were also pretty concerned about. To what extent do you think that the, the recent events with Russia and Ukraine, to what extent have those magnified an existing problem? You know, as you said, this year began with with really elevated levels of inflation anyway. And our expectation at the time was that those levels would probably dissipate and trend back down to normal over time, given that they were largely driven by an oil price shock and energy prices in general that we expected would stabilize and it would stop contributing to the base effect of inflation as much as it had been. And the second factor was supply chains. And there was clear evidence that those were easing. They were still troubled. Lots of uh, delays were still in existence and they were widespread, but there was undeniable evidence that they were easing. Clearly, the Russian war in Ukraine has really hit all of those uh, assumptions that we had negatively. Clearly, energy prices are much higher than we were expecting them to be. So that contributory base effect will be large and will continue to be large for a longer period of time than we expected. And two, supply chains as well um, will continue to be hit. If you think about the biggest single input into the cost of shipping, for example, or the cost of trucking is is energy and fuel and uh, petrol in particular. Clearly, the inflation picture has worsened. We still do think that it will trend back to normal over time. Nonetheless, having said that, the peak will be more delayed and the subsequent fallback to, to trend will be pushed back even further into the future than we were expecting. So the news on inflation is simply that it's going to last longer than we expected and be more entrenched than we expected. And then in terms of the impact on growth, clearly the world has struggled over the course of the last couple of years with a, with a, with a different challenge, um, that being the, uh, uh, the COVID pandemic. Just as we appear perhaps to be seeing the end of that or perhaps sort of looking at that much more in the, in the rearview mirror, thankfully, we have a new, new problem. And, and, and as you say, a problem that is, is, is certainly causing inflation to be more sticky. What impact will that have on global growth going forward? Has that really changed the picture? Here too, uh, Andrew, there, there's bad news. So number one, while we are looking in the rearview mirror at the worst of COVID that we had, it's not completely in the rearview mirror. And you see it popping up from time to time, particularly in China, uh, where the uh, proliferation of vaccines and effective vaccines has been less impressive as we've seen in most Western countries. But even putting COVID aside for the second, this war is having a huge upward rise on energy prices and on supply chains. Both of them are immediately and directly contributing to a lower growth profile going forward. Clearly, consumption will be hit from households. There will be much less desire to spend 
on nights out, for example, when the cost of petrol has risen. Um, there's going to be millions of trade-offs like that across households all over the world, given that a larger portion of our disposable income is going to be spent on energy prices, and particularly in the UK, given that our uh, collective national energy prices for, for household uh, heating and, and such will, will be taking a big step up in April and then probably, unfortunately, followed by another one in October. So that's sort of uh, part one on the household picture. But even corporates, clearly in an environment like this, where there was beginning to be stabilization as we were entering a post-COVID world, there's going to be much less desire for increased capex, much less desire to really increase production in a world where there's suddenly much more uncertainty. And we just don't know how long it's going to last or where it ends. But for now, we can easily say that in Europe, growth was going to be about 3.5% prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's looking more like 2 2.5% now, so significantly lower than we were expecting. And in terms of the concern that investors have looking at their portfolios, um, and particularly those who, who perhaps are, are pursuing an equity approach, with many equity markets now down double digits uh, from their peaks earlier this year, how concerned should investors be? Is this, is this particularly unusual? Clearly, the situation we find ourselves in from, from geopolitics is, is dramatic, is horrifying. But from a market's perspective, where are we in terms of uh, the unusualness of, of this particular situation? It's a great question, Andrew, and let me try to answer it as honestly as I can. So the dispersion of outcomes good and bad, have increased from where we were at the beginning of the year. And there's no question about it. And brutally, honestly, the downside dispersion on the downside has increased more than on the upside, meaning that there's more um, negative possibilities of where things might go than positive, seemingly, at present. And that is somewhat normal. So the increased volatility, such as we're seeing in markets, is not unusual. We have increased volatility from time to time for all sorts of reasons, geopolitics included. To that degree, it's not uncommon. However, there is also an element here of what Mervyn King, uh, the previous Bank of England had termed as radical uncertainty. And radical uncertainty is a concept simply that means that it's impossible to describe the future outcomes from where we are right now, given that there's no historical data to guide us, right? We are completely in the dark. There could be peace tomorrow, possibly, if China flexes their muscle, if there is some face-saving exit that can be managed for all parties, it's possible the peace could, could come sooner. And, and you can see that almost on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, the, when the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine met last week in Turkey, there is clearly some communication happening, and there is a possibility of that. Also, as we're painfully aware, the, 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 there's reason to expect that this conflict may last for much longer than we're expecting right now. Things could get worse, peace could not find a way uh, to break through, Russia could get entrenched within Ukraine and there could be a long stalemate with sanctions and rising commodities prices that could go on to the end of the year and even beyond. So simply trying to put a probability on either of those events or something in the middle is impossible. And that's really the, the, the phrase radical uncertainty and that's where it comes from. It is fair to say, though, and this is not going to come as any surprise, it's very obvious, that the shorter this conflict is, 
the more quickly we will resume normal you know, levels of volatility and a clearer path for the expected path of markets. The longer it lasts, the more difficult things are going to be and the greater the downside probability risks will increase. To know which one of those events or, or which probability is going to come true is impossible to tell right now, which is why we are in this period of radical uncertainty. Fahad, your description of, uh, of, of radical uncertainty is, uh, is intriguing. It's appealing and is perhaps very reflective of how investors feel today. But given the range of possible outcomes, the fears, the concerns, is there more that investors should be doing today to defend their portfolios? Is there more diversification that they could perhaps be reaching towards? No, that, that's absolutely right. And radical uncertainty really does describe the current situation well. Um, we choose to rely on our investment process at all times to guide our risk-taking appetite and our investment decisions. But especially at a time like this, it's really critical that we follow our process when the outlook is so cloudy. So what is our process telling us? This has four main pillars, the economic outlook, valuations, momentum and sentiment. And right now, the economic outlook remains quite robust by all the forward-looking indicators that we measure. There is no recession on the horizon. And while there is undeniably going to be a downside growth impact as a result of the war in Ukraine, we don't expect it to tip into negative growth or recession. Financing remains very cheap and easy, jobs are plentiful, and earnings are very strong. All of that points to the fact that risk remains well supported by the lens of the economic regime. The second factor is valuations. Now, they had been the biggest source of concern coming into this year. Uh, given they were quite elevated. But they've moderated, obviously, as the prices for equities have fallen while earnings have moved up. Bear markets rarely occur when earnings are healthy and rising, as they are right now. Will they continue to stay that way? Of course, we don't know, but we think they will. So valuations are less troubling to us than they were. They're still not cheap, but clearly this valuation picture is better than it was uh, at the start of the year. But our third pillar, momentum, is the one that's really changed the most from the beginning of the year. When it was trending in positive, it's now trending in negative territory. January clearly was a bad month for equities, given we were digesting a new monetary paradigm. And in February, equities took another big knockdown given the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, we are clearly in an environment where the trend is negative. And it's quite important to remember that contrary to popular belief, Bubbles don't tend to burst. They tend to deflate slowly over time. So a negative momentum signal may well help us get out before things deteriorate over a longer period. Of course, we could be wrong and momentum could suddenly turn, say possibly on good news in Ukraine, and, and go back into positive territory. But if and when that happens, we'll take that into consideration. Right now, momentum for equities is negative. And finally, sentiment. Some measures of sentiment would indicate that uh, market conditions are oversold. But the, we, the ones that we look at are still very much in neutral territory. It pays to remember that we are still only about 10 or 11% away from the all-time highs in global equities two months ago. So it's, uh, it's not as if suddenly the, the, you know, the entire uh, risk-taking framework has, has fallen apart, not at all. We are in an environment right now in which there are lots of potential outcomes and lots of dispersion. So it pays and makes sense to be neutrally positioned between risk and safety, as we are now. Andrew, what does that look like in our portfolios? 
equities, we still have the bulk of our exposure. So if we're thinking of a, if there is such a thing, a typical balanced portfolio, we would have approximately 50% in uh, a mixture of, of, of global equities. And then in terms of what else we can do, we need to have some, some protection in there. So perhaps at the moment we're running with a little bit more cash than we would ordinarily because of the radical uncertainty that you've described. We do hold some bonds, but it's fair to say that that bond exposure is underweight to the level of bonds that we would have held in a more normal environment in, in history. And this, of course, I, I suppose, is, is reflective of the fact that interest rates are almost certain to be continuing to rise this year and probably next, dealing with the, uh, the challenge of inflation. And then those other forms of diversification that we, we, we have, in a sense, our, our stable is really pretty diverse. We use hedge funds, which have the potential to make money in both rising and falling markets. We also have commodity exposure. We have our traditional safe haven of, of, of gold, which tends to be used as a currency of last resort. And also, additionally, we've recently added to diversified commodities, giving us a, an additional level of, uh, of inflation protection. And then finally, we have a, a small allocation to what we call a, a tail risk protection note. And this really should benefit if we see a further radical spike in implied volatility, perhaps because investors and the markets finally fearing that there is something really far worse to come. Let's hope we don't need that insurance. But what I, I think it is important is for investors to appreciate that during these periods of radical uncertainty, it certainly pays to be diversified. And so that's why we have a sensible mixture of equities, some cash, and then those alternative assets that can help us navigate through these very uncertain times. Farhad, thank you for your time this morning. I've very much enjoyed our discussion. Thank you very much, Andrew. That was a pleasure. This podcast is not a personal recommendation or investment advice. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. It is not intended that this podcast is distributed in or into the United States of America. This podcast is issued by the following companies in the Kleinwert Hambrus Group. In the United Kingdom, by SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank Limited, which is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. In the Channel Islands by SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank CI Limited, which is regulated by the Jersey Financial Services Commission. SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank CI Limited Guernsey branch is also regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Both entities are also authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority in respect of UK regulated mortgage business. In Gibraltar, SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank Gibraltar Limited is authorised and regulated by the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission.